Um, Jacob, I don't know how hard this will be for you, but can you put up the, the, the logo slide? Jacob, thank you so much for helping. Uh, he and Justin and um, Tyson. Um, I'm thankful for them jumping back there. Okay, so this is, this is our, our logo, logo um, Living Hope Church, and our mission statement there, serve, share, strengthen, and send. And I've endeavored in the past uh, month and a half uh, to be talking about this mission statement and looking at these words and, and trying to understand and catch a vision uh, of, of what God is calling us as a church to be. And, and I'll be honest, like today we're, we're looking at the word send, the last one, um, and, and the one we're talking about really has a lot to do with this word sin. Um, but I'm not going to focus on it too much. So I'm just going to say it right now so you have this topic in your mind. One of the core aspects of our church is that we want to send people. And, and really, we're looking at, you know, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Great Commission when Jesus commissioned his disciples. And this is, this is very similar in that vein. I might repeat some of that stuff. Uh, and so that's it. Within our DNA is to be sending people out into the world. And we're going to talk about that. But really, this is the foundation for what I want to talk about next week. So I may not mention the word send again, but I wanted you guys to have this in mind, right? This is uh, the primary focus uh, of really, like, th this verse that we're reading, uh, verse, uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is really like, it becomes like this this. Um, definition of everything that happens in the book of Acts afterwards, right? And so uh, it's this, this verse, what we're talking about is all about sending people out, going out. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but within the context of our church, I want us to be thinking about that. What does it mean for us uh, to be sending out into our community, okay? So now, now we can go all the way back to the beginning uh, in the book of uh, Acts. It opens up and this is obviously, a, you know, a, a kind of crazy time, if I can just set the setting a little bit uh, for when this is. So Jesus, uh, he is, he's, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the promised one. Um, and we've talked about this a lot lately, <coughs> that he is God who came down. And as he's been living on earth, he lived on earth for some 30, 33 years, and he'd spent about three years with his disciples, having them follow him around, and him doing some public ministry where he was preaching, and he was doing these great and wonderful miracles, and he was like going into the temple and kicking people out. And so like, I mean, Jesus' ministry encompasses a lot, but where we're at in the story is these disciples have been following Jesus for about three years, and they're excited, and they're gaining traction, and when they walk into Jerusalem for this big feast, that like literally there's thousands of people that are just claiming him as the Messiah, and, and they're bowing down, and they're worshiping him as the one that God has sent. And so these disciples have this great perspective of who Jesus is. And it's, you know, we get this picture of this triumphant king. And, and really, we, if we look at all the promises that Israel's waiting for this promised one to fulfill, I mean, they're things that a king would do. And so really, when they say Jesus is the Messiah or, or Christ, which is just another word, or different language for Messiah, when they're saying that Jesus is, is the Messiah, they're saying that he is the king. So these disciples have been following Jesus for about three years, and they're, they're under Roman occupancy. The, the nation of Israel is, is subjected under the Romans, which, you know, 
uh, yeah, the Romans, uh, <laughs> Romans and, and the Jews, they had an interesting relationship all the time because um, the Romans would make allowances because it was easier to let the Jews like have some of their stuff than fight them all the time because they would fight them all the time. And so then they'd be like, okay, so you don't have to worship our God. You can worship just your God. And, and so like Romans didn't really do that with anyone else. They just conquered them and made them do whatever they want. With the Jews, they were kind of like, okay, fine, you know, calm down a little bit. And so like they're, they're, they're a nation that's under occupancy. Like they're, they're conquered. And these disciples are following around Jesus. And he's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the king that's going to kick kick the Romans out, who's going to restore the nation of Israel to the glory of what it was under King David, or even under King Solomon. How awesome would that be? You know, really, since Solomon's day, Israel has never, ever ruled as much land. It's never been as prosperous as under King Solomon. And yet the promises of what God is going to do to this nation it's freedom and it's expansion and it's it's far beyond the borders of what Solomon had. It's the everything that he had actually had to originally promised to Abraham, which still hasn't happened yet. So they're waiting for this promised one to, to be their king that's going to lead them into this, this wonderful era of Israel's history. And 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 then they watched him get arrested. And then they watched him be nailed to a cross. And they watched him die. If we can just think through the thought process of the disciples. Like the craziness from, excuse me, the craziness from the triumphal entry to a week later. And your king is dead. And then, to make matters even crazier, now he's not. <laughs> like, it's amazing. Like, it's awe-inspiring. It's, it's actually, like, it's fear-inspiring, if I can put it, like, literally. Okay? It's fear-inspiring. It should cause in us a fear. Because, listen, the threat that people hold over you is death. Like, that's why I generally treat people nicely. That's not the only reason, but it's one of them, right? I hope you don't kill me, right? Because I kind of like living. Well, Jesus' threat was that he died. And now that threat is gone. So let me ask you this. If you're waiting for a coming king who's going to bring about the greatest nation ever in the history of mankind, and you can see he can defeat death, what are you afraid of? As long as you're on his side, man, everything he's promised, let's go. Let's get this done. What are we waiting for? So we, we come to this passage, and I want to read verse number six. Verse number six. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay. You, 
you are the promised one. We've seen you do the impossible, and then you were killed, and you rose again. Now there's literally nothing in our minds that can stand up to what you can do. There's nothing. So what do we do now? Now, I, I want to, you know, I want to note, like, Jesus didn't yell at them for asking this question, right? Like, Jesus wasn't like, man, you guys are stupid, right? Like, thankfully, God is patient with us, right? But it, he, didn't, he didn't say that's the wrong question. It is. It, it is a little bit of the wrong focus. And, and, and really, you know, if they, you know, as Jesus leaves and as Jesus, even while he was with them, continued to explain to them the things that he'd been teaching them for the past three years, then maybe they would have begun to understand that Jesus' focus, like, so I want to be clear, like, God's promises to Israel will still happen. And I understand we're living in a very crazy time with Israel. And, and, and I don't, I, I, I'm not going to give some commentary on what's happening over there. Like there's far wiser people and people who've actually been over there who can talk to you about that. But what I'm saying is that between God and the promises he's made to Abraham and Moses and to David and Solomon and throughout all of scripture, everything that he has promised to his people he will fulfill. Paul's very clear about this in the book of Romans. No, no, no. Just because we now get to be the church does not mean that God's promises to Israel are done with. The things he's promised will come to pass, and we can rest assured that he will still fulfill his word, okay? So it's not the wrong question to ask, when is this going to happen? But it is the wrong focus. So, the, the disciples, they come, and, and really, I think they're good questions. And, and, and I've been there with them. When? Where? Right? Like, they, they ask, okay, is it at this time? And then they say, in Jerusalem. Right? Their, their question is pointed towards, is it now? And is it here? Is it now? And is it here? And I'll be honest with you, I've asked this question, these questions of God all the time. Now? God, are you going to deliver me from this temptation now? How about right here, right now? Can you, can you just take it away? You know, I'm fat. Can you just take it away? Is it now? Is it, is it right here? Man, I, I had to ask that question a lot. Even to be here today. Like, I had to ask God. Am I staying in Buffalo? I know you're telling me to go. Is it now? Man, these are questions we ask. And, and listen, I'm not saying God doesn't answer these questions. But always when we ask these questions, God is going to redirect our focus to what matters. And that's what Jesus does here. The disciples ask, is it now? Is it here? And Jesus answers those questions. First, first of all, he says, um, it's not for you to know. So, like, <laughs> sometimes I wish God was, like, just like, yes, no. Sometimes he is. Sometimes he says, wait. Sometimes he says, wait. Waiting's not always easy. But the key to this is like, what's our focus when we wait? What are we trusting in as we wait? 
not now, and it, I'm not going to tell you when. It's to trust in him, to wait. And then he answers the question of where. And this is, this is the exciting part. Like, I, honestly, this whole passage is exciting, so maybe I, I overemphasize. But if you look at the end of the verse, of verse number 8, it says, you know, he, he, he's, he commissions them to be his disciples or his witnesses. And then he tells them where. He says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. To the end of the earth. So we have a city, we have a region, and we have a world. And, and what I want us to begin to recognize is a city, a region, a world. A city, a region, a world. These are like ever-extending circles of influence, of where we are. And, and I know I said I may not mention it because I mentioned it. Now I'm thinking about it. This is, we send people to the city. We send people to the region. We send people to the world, right? Like we can't become so focused on just our city. And maybe the focus of the disciples is a little bit too much on the nation of Israel right now. They just watched Jesus raise from the dead. And now their thought is not for the Romans. Their thought is for the Jews. And Jesus actually, through the book of Acts, has to redirect his disciples' focus. Because as the church begins to grow in the first century, they're very focused on the city. They, they kind of neglected the region and then the area. And so God brought persecution and made them leave their homes. So that then they went to their region. And then they went to the world. And, and later on in the book of Acts, it says that the disciples turned the world upside down. Because they were the witnesses of what Jesus did. And so, we have to have this focus. Listen, when we're asking when and, and where and, and how do we do this, as we ask these questions of how do we be a disciple, how do we witness, how do we do these things, we need to have our focus re redirected to understand that it's not just here. It's also out there. It's everywhere. We have to redirect our focus to the things that we're concerned about, to the things that they're concerned about. So what is God doing across the whole world? It's easy when our problems become all that we pray about to not see what God is doing. The disciples had spent three years walking with Jesus, hearing the heart of Jesus, the heart, his heart for, for the hurt and the broken, his heart for those that weren't even Jewish. They got to see him with the woman at the well in Samaria. They got to see him when the Gentiles come to him and ask for help. They got to see him praise the faith of the Roman centurion. And yet their focus. Okay, God, what are you going to do with your people? What about the nation of Israel? What are you doing with us? Let's, listen, it's, it's easy when... when when all you're focused on is your problems, to maybe neglect to see what God is doing all around us. So Jesus, Jesus answers their question. But really, he answers their question. He says, listen, it's not for you to know when, and I'm going to send you to not just Israel, not just Jerusalem, but the whole world. But he gives them, uh, uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago, he gives them a commission. And this is different wording than, than the passage we looked at in Matthew. 
But here in this passage, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So really, I want us to focus a little bit today in the context of all of our questions. In the context of our Jerusalem, wherever we are, wherever we're located, whatever we're focused on, whatever questions we're coming to God with, with, hey, what do you want me to do now, and, and, and where do you want me to be, and, and how are you going to do this, in, in the context of all of our questions, God is calling all of those who follow him to, in those circumstances, be his witnesses. Whether it's here uh, maybe it's, it, you know, I'm trying to think of our region. Maybe it's, it's in, in Salt Lake City. Maybe it's a regional director like Matt. Or maybe it's, it's all across the world. I, I'm thinking of my brother who's in the Middle East. I'm thinking of these, these shoeboxes that we're collecting today to send to children all across the whole world. And with it is going to be a gospel presentation and a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who's going to be there handing it to them to be able to say what God has done. We, listen, in the context of wherever we are, we have been called by God as his followers to be his witnesses. To be his witnesses. So if you have your, your little paper, <coughs> I wrote down, not in my handwriting, it's on, in type for you, but um, I wrote down this. It says, witness is to testify, to give evidence or proof concerning what Jesus has said or done. And you can go look at, you know, you can go look at uh, definitions. Definitions are always fun to Google. Man, there was a day, I remember back in school when I had to, like, get the dictionary out. And I have a, I have a dictionary, I have a concordance on my, uh, on my shelf, and uh, I, I touched them to move them. Um, but, like, nowadays, I just Google, right? And you can look at the etymology, you can look at 15 different dictionaries online. It's kind of nice. But it's interesting if you wanted to look at the definition of, of what it means to w witness, like there's, you know, 40 different definitions. And so you're not going to go find exactly this written one. This is something I wrote. But it's, it's from these, these definitions because one leads you to the next, which leads you to the next. But what, what I want us to kind of get the picture in our head of, get a picture in your head of a courtroom, of, of calling forward a witness. And what does this witness do? The witness, he just gives a testimony. He gives a, he testifies. He gives evidence or proof of something. That's it. Like, it's pretty simple, right? And God's called us to be his witness. To testify. To give evidence or proof of him. There's a really, really good example of this. You guys ready? Verse number one. The former account I made, O Theophilus. Thank you, Matt, for teaching half my lesson. I probably should have stayed down there. But um, yeah, Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke. The gospel, it's, it's, the, it's the good news. It's the story of what Jesus said and did. That's what it says, right? This former account I made of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. How can we be a witness? Testify of what Jesus said and did. Testify of what Jesus said and did. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a heads up. 
maybe for some of you this might be scary, and you're like, nope. But may, hopefully, this gives uh, us a vision for where we're going. This is my roadmap for the first long time of my ministry here at Living Hope Church. I want to take the account of Luke, the, the gospel according to Luke, where he wrote about what Jesus said and did. And I would just want to walk through the book of Luke, and I want us to study what Jesus said and did. I, I just want us to really focus in. I want us to be able to communicate, to testify, to be able to point to proofs in Scripture of what Jesus said and did. I think, I think this is one of the core things of Christianity, is to be able to say this is what Jesus said and did. And, and then even, you know, I'll tell you, unless God changes this, because this could be years in the future. I, I don't, yeah, it could be years in the future. Uh, my plan is to then walk into the book of Acts and to see what the disciples said and did as they were witnesses, because that's what the book of Acts is. Luke gives an account of what Jesus said and did, and then he gives an account of what his disciples said and did. And what they said and did, I don't know if that's good grammar or not, but uh, is, is they went and told people about what Jesus said and what he was doing. Listen, it, it's really important for us as, as, as we seek to follow Jesus, as, as we honor him as his, like he is our king, he is our God, he is our creator, he is our master. As we follow him, as we witness to others about him, as we give testimony, it's important that we can say what God said and did. And the beautiful thing is, is we are not left alone in that process. Uh, he has given to us what he said and did. Okay, we have something that unites all of us, that all of us can come together, and it's not just by my own experience that I know what Jesus did. It's written for us. He told us what he did. He told us. God has spoken to us. He has given us a wealth of information to know him. So we all have this, but we also do have our own experiences. One of the beautiful things about the book of Acts is, like, it kind of doesn't end. Like, if you go right now, like, I wouldn't be, you know, you guys all can, you know, you're welcome to do what you want, right? Like, you can turn to the end of the book of Acts right now, and guess what? There's an ending, right? Like, it, like you're not, not going to not find the book, end of the book. But listen, you know, most of the other books, they end with amen, or they end with and, and it was so, or, you know, whatever. Like, like, there's a period at the end. And at the end of the book of Acts, it's just like, it's like Luke was writing it. This is what's going on. And then he walked over this way and then never got back to finish it. Maybe he got martyred. Maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't know exactly what happened. We're still living in the days of what Jesus is doing. It's different now. We recognize that Jesus tells his disciples this just before he goes up into heaven, right? We could read the rest of the pages, and it's what, uh, the next few verses, it's one of the, the greatest times. Like, they're all looking up in the air as, as Jesus went up in the clouds, and, and they're just kind of standing there. And then there's, like, this angel that's just, like, staring at them, like, what are you doing? You know, like, he's not there. Like, you keep looking, but, you know, he's gone. He did what he said he was going to do, right? And, and so then... But, but what, we have to recognize that even though Jesus is now 
in heaven at the, the right hand of God and, and he's interceding on our behalf. Like he's still actively working in, in his physical body where he's at. What he's doing now, the work that God is doing now is through each of us. And it's because he's present with each of us. And, and so God is still actively working. And so we have God's word where God has spoken to us and he has revealed to us who he is. And he is actively working in our lives. And we need to give testimony about both of those things. We need to, we need to give evidence and proof that God said it and he's doing it. means that we actually have to recognize that God's doing something in our life. We need to have this life because then when we actually have this life, this, this life with God actively working in our lives, then we're able to tell other people about it. Listen, we're, there, there's a daunting side of what I'm talking about where we look at these disciples that get this commission from God and the vast majority of them all are martyred for their faith. They're killed because of what they say. And, and there's a daunting side to this where we recognize this is a really big book. And there's a lot of history. And there's a lot of theologians. And there's a lot of debates. And there's a lot of atheists out there and agnostics. And there's a lot of enemies. And there's a lot of distortions. And how do we know what the proof is? And how can we be sure? And listen, there's a lot that I understand that this is a daunting thing for us to do. It doesn't give us a right to not do it. I want to say there's also a simplistic side to this. And it's because of the things that we're going to look at in just a second. But there's a simplistic aspect. Listen, like, not all of us are theologians. Man, I listen to some people, and I'm just like, man, you're so smart. Like, like I love reading them because it makes me feel smarter. Like, you're reading this along, and you're like, oh, I read that word without hesitating. And then you finish the chapter, and you're like, okay, what did I learn? I don't know, but I read that word, right? Man, some of them are so smart. And, and we're not all that person. One of the beautiful things about the disciples is, like, the variety and diversity of the disciples. You had people like Matthew who, who like, you go read his gospel, and it's like, well, Here's, you know, all the numbers and here's what, you know, I've got 15 different parables to talk to you about how this happened. And then you go read the gospel according to Mark, which is like Peter's account. And Peter's just like, yeah, he did this and then he did this and then he did this and then he said go and that's it. Like literally Mark's over in like 15 minutes. Like uh, you probably would be reading really fast to finish it in 15 minutes. But like, I mean, someone can. Like, like, it's a short book. Like, there's, there's a diversity in how we do this. And we're not all expected to be the same person. We're not going to be exactly the same as someone else. That's the beauty of how God's called and created each of us. It's something we talked about a few weeks ago, right? That God has uniquely gifted each of us to be a part of what he is doing. But there's just this simple aspect that even though there's this daunting aspect of what he's calling us to do, when we actually follow Jesus, when we begin to experience his love and his grace, then it, it becomes very easy to actually talk about it. 
this doesn't necessarily have to look like someone up here talking about it. This can be as simple and as important. I want to be clear. Me being up here speaking about this is a... a, a, I want to be clear. We're coming to a day and age when people don't care what I have to say. We're coming in a day and age where people are searching and seeking for authenticity, authenticity and authentic faith from their friends. If you're waiting for some theologian to be able to reach Green River, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen because you, you experience the goodness of our God. You read of what he says And then in your daily life, as it's in your Jerusalem, in our region, in ever-extending circles around you, you begin to just testify, to just say, I do this because God. I'm thankful because of what God has done. I'm not worried, I'm not anxious, because God has promised. When we, in our ever-extending circles of influence around us, begin to just testify about what God has said and what he's done because we've experienced it. Then we too can be the disciples of Jesus who turn the world upside down. We need to witness. In our context, in ever-extending circles. When, where? Listen, it's not, it's not the focus. When and where he leads, we follow, and we are obedient. Our focus is, I've experienced the goodness of God, and I'm going to tell other people about that. And so as we witness, I want to look at just a few things that Jesus says here to encourage us in this thing. Because I understand it's daunting, but there's, there's, there, there can be great peace and joy when we do this as he's called us to. So I want to look at just four things very quickly that should give us some courage that should give us some encouragement as we witness. So first of all, as we witness, we need to trust him in his timing. Right? Verse number six. Let's read what he said again, right? It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Listen, we don't always have a good understanding of the timing, but God does. And we, listen, we question, and I have questions, and, and, and it's good to ask, and, and I think it's important that we come to God and we're asking him, not just asking and complaining to everyone else, right? It's good for us to come and to ask God about his timing. But we have to trust in his timing. We have to trust that, that the, whatever we're going through, whatever we're experiencing, listen, this isn't, like, I'm not saying everything's just going to brilliantly get better one day. I'm saying is that God is actively working and and he's given promises of good things. He gives promises of good things, not just for you, but in ever extending circles out. And God might be using you to share his love. And it can be hard and there can be rejection. And he tells us to prepare for persecution. It's coming. We trust in his timing. We trust that God has a plan and he has a purpose for what we're going through. What's our focus in it? 
I'm going to continue to testify about what God is doing, even in this time. We trust in his timing, and we trust in his authority. He says this, he put it in his own authority. And this is something we talked about when we looked at the Great Commission out of Matthew chapter number 28. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so what we have to recognize here is when we're testifying, when we're witnessing, don't, don't be preaching the gospel of yourself. Don't be going out on your own authority and because you think this is the best thing. Listen, if it was up to the disciples, they would have killed all the Romans. But it wasn't up to the disciples. Instead, the authority that God had was to preach salvation and forgiveness to the Romans. So it's important that we recognize his authority. And that as we go out, we're not just preaching whatever we want. We're not just preaching the Jesus that looks like us. But we're preaching about the Jesus as he's revealed himself to be. What he has said, what he has taught, what he has done. Not, not just what I've said and what I've done. His authority. His name. And then the third thing here, we want to trust in his power. Verse number eight, it says, but you shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't try to force results. Have you ever seen someone be like, do you want to go to hell? No? Okay, pray this prayer. Check, got another one. Did my duty to what God told me that I had to do. And then the person's still sitting there like, what just happened? Don't, don't try to force results. Don't apologize for God. Don't, don't say, listen, our, our culture has its own ideas. We have our own ideas. And, and, and there's, there's always going to be this desire to synchronize our ideas, to say, you believe that, and I believe this, and we really all just believe in one God. And it's just like, well, no, I actually believe God when he said he's the only way. We, we don't apologize for God. We don't force results. We're just obedient. He's called us to testify. He didn't, we, we don't, the, the great commission to go and make disciples, it's because of what Jesus does. Our part is to obey. Our part is to experience the goodness of our God and then to testify about it. We need to, we need to actually like trust in his power. Sometimes we don't talk about what God has done because we're ashamed, because we're afraid, because of the what ifs. There's always what ifs. What if they don't like me? What if they reject me? What if we don't get to be friends if I say this? And you know, in our Bible study, we've been uh, is tonight our last in the series, Steve, for Daniel? Is tonight our last one for Daniel tonight? Okay. We've been, we've been looking at the story of Daniel. And Daniel, you know, he's, 
he's, he's a prisoner of war who's put into a trusted position. He, he actually, like, God does great and wonderful things. And a beautiful thing, of, uh, Daniel's a really good example of this, right? Because he can interpret dreams, except he can't, right? Like, he, he's not smart enough. It's not like he looks at bones and is like, oh. Or, like, maybe he's like, oh, this pattern means this. And it's not like he, like, reads the daily horoscope and, like, goes and tells Neb- Nebuchadnezzar, this is what's going on. No, 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 it's not by any human device. He prays to God, and God tells him what the dream meant. That's God's power. Daniel didn't have any power in it. His only part was to obey and and seek after God. And he was put constantly in multiple different situations, in very precarious situations, which could cost him and many other people their lives. And he didn't apologize. And he didn't back down, and he didn't force results. His friends in the same situation at another time, they said, even if God doesn't deliver us, we're still going to worship him. And this needs to be what we talk about. Hey, it's, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. And when people begin to ask you about what God has said about sexuality, about politics, about neighbors, about the way that we should treat each other, And we don't apologize for what God has said. We stand firm and we don't force results because we trust that God has the authority and the power to do as he wills. So we trust him. As we witness, we give testimony about what God is doing. We trust in his timing. We trust in his authority. We trust in his power. But most importantly, we trust in his presence. Listen, th- th- all of this is precipitated on the promise of Jesus. I- I- if you looked at verse number, um, uh, v- verse number four, it- it's when he- Jesus is getting ready to leave, he says you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And he reiterates this in verse number eight. You're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, the, the greatest thing about these ever-extending circles of influence that we have to think about, whether it's our Jerusalem or our region or our world, whether it's, it's in our families or our schools or our, our um, whatever, whatever these expanding areas of influence are, what the promise is is that God is with us, that God is with us. It, it becomes much easier to trust in his timing his authority and his power when he is when we know he is with us and when we testify listen he's with us when people ask questions and and that that sinking feeling in your gut and your heart like drops all the way down and you're like oh no they actually want me to answer god is with you pray speak to him Walk with him. The the strength of the Christian life is that God is with us. And whatever our circumstances, if we redirect our focus from trying to understand the answer of when and how, and we begin to just follow, we begin to just trust in him, then it doesn't matter when and where and how. We just follow. And, and listen, there's going to be times when we should struggle and we should question when and how and where. 
And we should take these questions to God. But God is always going to redirect our focus. He has a purpose for why we are here. And it's important that we don't get so concerned over the where and when and how that we neglect what God is actively calling on us to do right here, right now. Trust in God. Develop a relationship with him where you actually understand his presence, his leading, where you learn what it means to actually talk to him without ceasing. And when you begin to develop this relationship, I'm telling you, it will be impossible for you to not talk about it. It should become evident in your conversations at work, in your conversations with your children, in your conversations it should become evident in the way that you live your life and the, the joy that you express. The, the fruit of the Spirit won't be something that we're trying to keep. It will be something that He is, since living in you, living out through you. And so, the call for us, redirect our focus. What is God doing right now? He's calling on us to testify, to give proof and evidence of the things that He has said and the things that He is doing. So this is our goal as a church, that we would continually encourage each other in this, in this walk as we do this. So let me pray for us.